0: Episode 52, How to Connect with Your Audience with Dead Air Dennis. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today, Deb, myself, and guest Dead Air Dennis discuss the struggles of being vulnerable with others. Dennis also describes his method for quickly connecting with his audience while on stage as a stand-up comedian. (laughs) Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster? Or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection? My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection. And in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at macklinconnection.com. Welcome to the Story in Your Head podcast. I'm Ron Macklin, and today we have our guest, Dead Air Dennis. Dead Ma- Air Dennis.
1: See, the pa- I didn't know if the pause was where I was supposed to jump in and introduce myself. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you did jump in.
0: Dennis, could you give us a short introduction as in like a elevator speech but only goes up like four floors?
1: Yeah, no, of course. I'm really good at talking in short periods because I talk very fast because talking is how I make my living. I am a stand-up comedian, actor, and podcaster currently living, sorry, currently suffering in Boston, Massachusetts, originally from Baltimore, but I've decided to be here because apparently it wasn't cold enough for me in Baltimore in the winters. So I came here to be even more miserable, but that's the life that I chose.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Well, you had me laughing already this morning, not only just getting to meet you, but I, I was looking at your website and one of the things that stuck with me is the your your story about a soul-sucking fluorescent lit office <laughs> and and i'm guessing that you had to change a story in your head to become a comedian like to 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 move away from that soul-sucking fluorescent lit office and what what was that story you had to change for yourself
1: well basically this is the thing when you're a comedian people always ask you this the questions of like oh how did you get into comedy or why would you do this or whatever And of course, if you talk to other comedians, you'll meet a lot of them that say things like, oh, comedy helped me overcome my stage fright. I learned to be more outgoing and with with people because of doing stand up comedy. And then, of course, I have friends who are musicians who also say to me that they can't do what I do. They can't go on stage and just talk to people. And I'm like, you go on stage every night and you bare your soul. I'm up here talking about my penis and other people's penises. That's mostly what comedy is, is just talking about other people or your genitalia. That's really it. But I can't imagine not being up there. I, I I was fortunate enough at a young age to start in the entertainment business and to know that every facet of entertainment is a job. That actors are are a job. That pe- that you know radio hosts are a job. That comedians are, jo- are are people who are employed to do a job. You know hosts, MCs, and all that stuff. So I started at a very young age with that, and I never wanted to be one of those boring drones stuck in a office with cubicles and fluorescent lights. But when I worked at a radio, one of my first real major jobs was working for a radio company, and I found myself stuck, even though I was working in entertainment, stuck in cubicles surrounded by fluorescent lights and boring people that pass around uh, a card every every other week and say, hey, it's Mary's birthday. Everybody sign the card. And You're like, I don't know who Mary is, and I just wrote that on the card. So here. So I didn't want to get stuck in that lifestyle, even though I kind of fell into that lifestyle when I was working in radio and while in radio I realized that I was not going to be I, I it wasn't going to give me the ability to be the creative that I wanted to be so I I put all my efforts into going to stand up comedy being a comedian instead of continuing to try to work in a medium that wasn't going to allow me to be unique and an individual and expressive because the industry itself is not becoming very cookie cutter and standard they're becoming like They're the radio is uh, radio stations are becoming TGI Fridays where it's like, hey, yeah, we're serving you things you like. We know you enjoy it and it's the same everywhere you go. But there is zero individuality. There's zero individual personality. Everybody is just the same over and over if it's not even to the exact same person in every different market. So I push all my efforts of creativity into stand up comedy. That way I can be beholden for myself and what i create and only myself
0: so thanks dennis what is for you like what is your distinction for how do you hold the word creativity and being creative and then what is your stand for yourself around being creative
1: well creative creativity for me is about being yourself and being an individual being the person that that you are and expressing that to other people so with stand-up comedy there's a lot of people who are funny And they say the things that we're all kind of thinking that, hey, I've I, I know that scenario, but you don't remember them. You remember the people you relate to because they said something about themselves that you related to. Not here's a broad topic that we can all understand. You don't remember that person. You remember the person that says something like that says something that is true and only to them, but you also relate to. One of the biggest, one of my biggest bits that people always come up to me afterwards and say like, man, I totally, I get you on that. Like, I totally understand. I have that same feeling. There's a very dumb bit about walking down the street and being worried that the person in front of you thinks that you are following them. It's, 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 it's an insane point of view to think about that, that you're, it's a weird narcissism to be like, I'm so important that this person thinks that I'm following them. Or it's a weird level of self-deprecation where it's like, I just look like I follow people wherever they go, and uh, because I look like a monster. But the, you can truly relate to that when you have those f- insane feelings of of insecurity, as opposed to the broad term of like, "Hey, man, you ever be walking down the street and you think that guy's following you?" Like that's that's a broad thing. Individually, there's a weird thing that clicks in our brain when when we hear that that insecurity being opened up about you're fearful of someone else's opinion of you in such a negative way.
2: Yeah, that that's awesome. I mean, we talk a lot about being vulnerable and and it strikes me that you're being vulnerable in a different way, in a way that pulls people in and that they can envision being in the same situation. We do that with vulnerable stories, but you, you make it be something that we can laugh about, that we can look at ourselves and kind of laugh about. Is that, has that always been the way you've, kind of looked at life
1: uh yeah well because i grew up r- repeating you know my 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 foray i grew up right after the like right at the end of the 70s comedy boom i was born in 81 grew up in late 80s early 90s and stand-up comedy was still everywhere on tv like every time you turn on the tv there was stand-up comedy everywhere. and all of a sudden right around the beginning of the 90s it went away you stopped seeing stand-up comedy you know it was very difficult to find stand-up i i grew up watching all these amazing greats and not so great doing stand-up comedy every night and it affected me. And I would repeat the things that they would say to people. I grew up in the mid nineties repeating like I would between classes recite all of Dennis Leary's no cure for cancer to my friends as we would walk to different classes in middle school, you know? And I, I got that, that, uh, that jolt, that dopamine hit of people laughing at the things that you're saying. And then I also realized that if I could come up with something original or in the moment or something that, that, reflects in that moment right now and get a laugh from that. Oh, that's like dopamine times 10. Oh, somebody laughing at your own joke, as opposed to you just repeating something funny that somebody else said, oh, that is like heroin, which I'm from Baltimore, but I don't know what heroin actually feels like, but I'm assuming that's what heroin feels like. is when you get to tell a joke of your own own creation. Everyone's like, ha, that's funny.
0: Thanks. Well, a lot of our listeners may be asking questions like this, like being vulnerable is scary. And, and how do I, how do I get over that? Or how do I create a space where I can be vulnerable with somebody else, another human? And you do that in a way like in front of the world, not just in front of one person, but many people. So like, h- how did you create a space so you could do that? And then what, what, like, what stories would you share with our listeners?
1: Well, the, the way I got to that point is just having, I have what Kevin Pollock cause the, hey, look at me gene. So there's at some point you have to like, just you have to keep amping up the ante at some point. You know, you talk about one thing, you draw people in, right? And you keep talking about another subject and you draw them in and they're, they're there, but now you got to keep a hold of them. So how do you keep a hold of them? Well, you got to keep a hold of them by telling them more and more interesting things. I can catch your attention with an observational piece of humor about the situation we're right in. But what am I going to do? Continue to keep of Notiv- noting funny things about stuff in the room no i'm going to tell you about me you're going to tell me about you we're going to tell each other about each other and the way i'm going to keep you interested in telling open about yourself is by opening up about me the same thing with interviews you know because i host podcasts and i've always wanted to be an interview like radio even you know even though i just trash talked radio that was what i wanted in my life like i loved radio hosts i'd love listening to them talk to bands I loved it, listening to them interview movie stars and stuff like that. And it was, to me, the the best medium because you can do essentially whatever you want with it at the time. And then, of course, now in the 2000s, you, you can't do anything. You just, you have to do what the, the the grand evil corporate overlords tell you to do. But I watched so many interviews, and what I realized is, like, the interviewer would say something about themselves that related to the thing they wanted their subject to talk about. Same thing in comedy. You have to, you know— Or just in conversation in general. If you want somebody to talk about a subject, well, talk about yourself. And if they relate and if they're a normal human and not a uh, weirdo, (laughs) also open up to you. So same thing in comedy. If I'm having a conversation at a party, like me standing on stage telling jokes is Dennis at a party with people around him. I'm telling you stories. I'm shucking and jiving. I'm trying to keep your attention. Well, I'm going to have to keep upping that ante of the things of the subject matters I talk about. And of course, you want to get to know me. You want to have a connection with me, whether you're in an audience or whether you're sitting around a circle with cocktails in hands at at somebody in someone's living room. You want to have that connection. You want to know more of who I am. So I'm going to tell you who I am because I want you to stick around and continue to listen to me and continue to tell me about you because I'm as fascinated about you as I am talking about my own self. Of course. Your story about who you are is also just fodder for me to be even funnier and to have more, you know, you're telling me about your life. I'm going to send in there with a quip about something because I'm going to tag that thing that you're talking about with a punchline. I'm going to throw that in there and I'm going to just keep doing all of that. So I have to open up about myself if I want you to open about about yourself. So I have material to make jokes about. So it just came from a natural point of knowing that I need to, you know, be open and personal. And. We live in a day and age where you can listen to every comedian's most inner thoughts. We live in a world where you can listen to thousands of comedians' stories growing up because of podcasts. So there is no reason why anybody shouldn't understand what the intricate principles of becoming a comedian. You'll listen to so many comedians and they will tell you that you need to talk about you. You need to talk about something that's personal to you. And it just takes time, just like every art, like every skill, every discipline, it takes time to learn to do those things. No one wrote a best-selling novel the first time they put pen to paper. You know, Jane you know how many how many stories James Patterson wrote and throwed away before he ever wrote his first novel? I don't, but I'm assuming it's a lot because they, <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's a number on that, but like, do you know how many stories Stephen King wrote and threw away because they were garbage before he even, just take one book. Do you know how many drafts one book from Stephen King has probably been through? A lot, because nobody is a natural at anything in in the creative arts. You know me. You know how many artists have shitty stick figure drawing uh, paintings of themselves in their house with a giant sun that was hanging on their parents' refrigerator before twenty five years later their painting sells for five thousand dollars in a gallery. Like, trust me. No kid came out of the womb, grabbed oil paints, and then. Painted a perfect self-portrait. Like that, you know, it took them years of of learning how to become an artist. Musician, same thing. No one picked up a guitar and was just like, "Any better?" all of a sudden, right here, very first time. wow. No, it takes practice. Same thing with telling a joke. Learning to tell a joke. Learning what a setup is, what a punchline is, what a tag is. Learning about what subject matters are the ones that are most relatable to the people. All of that takes time. And you just have to take practice. You have to keep doing it and doing it and being self-aware and learn what's good, what's bad, what's working, what's not working, what fits you, which is the key, biggest key, is what fits you as a person.
0: Yeah. I, Dennis, I can like, wholly relate to because I, I created a methodology for connecting to other people and I've been practicing over 20 years, mm-hmm. right? And then people go like, oh, you're really good at that. And I go, yeah, you should have seen me like 15 years ago. I was terrible at it, right? And yeah. I pissed people off and offended them and And people wouldn't talk to me more and people shut down relationships, but I never gave up. Yeah. I just kept trying and learning and say, Oh, that didn't work. That didn't work. Well, wait, that didn't work there. Maybe it'll work over here. Nope. That should never work. (laughs) And we should never try that again. And then we'll go, let's try it this way. And this or the
1: that worked, why did it work? How do I recreate that moment and stuff? And sometimes you'll, you'll just discover something is a once in a lifetime occurrence and you try to recreate that occurrence and you just never will.
0: Yeah, you go, oh, I got it figured out now. This is it. And then you go, well, that was it one time. That was perfect one time. And like, how do we choose our journey and just stay on it and keep working it, keep practicing it, keep going from there. And to notice that we are all afraid that there's a space inside of us to go, oh, that was terrible. I'm not good (laughs) enough. It's not going to happen. And get up and go out and do it again.
1: Or And here's the thing about stand-up comedy is out of all the things that I talked about, painting, music. Film, acting, even interviewing. There's an art to interviewing. With all of those things, you can practice them over and over in private and get good at them and then display them to the world. Even with interviewing, you can edit an interview. <laughs> you, know, you can interview. <laughs> you, I mean, th- think about it. Like, we're, we're doing a podcast, we can edit this to make you sound good if you don't. I know I'm a podcast producer. I've done it to people who are terrible interviewers. I'm like, all right, we're going to have to do a lot of work here. I do it to my own work sometimes. And then sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just let my 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 pimples, my, my blemishes flail out to the world. But if we were having a conversation, we wanted to release this interview in print. You never have to see that you were a bad interviewer. You just see that this person was interesting or whatever. You can edit those things. Stand-up comedy is the only thing that you have to fail in public to get good at. You can't develop comedy in a vacuum. You have to know what makes people laugh. You have to do all of that in front of the world, unlike everything else. Like as a musician, I can stay at home and play the guitar for 12 years and become a virtuoso. And the first time I go out in front of people and never tell anyone I play guitar. And then the first time play guitar, I'm like, and have a perfect song. Can't do that with stand-up comedy. I can't stand in front of a mirror. I know that's the, the old trope of magicians, practice in front of a mirror. Actors, act in front of a mirror. Teenagers, you want to get good at kissing, kiss yourself in the mirror. These are all things that we tell people they can do in the mirror in private to get good at. You can't stand in front of it instead of your bathroom mirror with a comb and be like, oh, so what's the deal with team. Like, you will never get good. You don't know the reactions to people by just doing it in your bathroom over and over and over and over again until you walk out on that stage with those lights into a void of darkness because you can't see anybody because the lights are blinding to you. You didn't expect that to happen because it's your first time on stage because you didn't do theater when you were in elementary school. You didn't do theater, community theater growing up. You've never been in a a brightly lit stage with a dark room of people who are drinking drinks and hoping that you're going to be the only thing that makes them forget about their worthless, terrible existence. And all that's coming (laughs) to your brain in the moment. And then you can't remember the things that you practiced 17,000 times in front of the mirror in your bathroom for because you didn't practice to be on that stage in front of those people at that moment, telling the things that you wanted to tell them. You have to go out there and you have to fail in front of all these people. You're paying two drink minimums to have a moment of happiness in their lifetime. And you have to live up to that expectation. You didn't practice for all that. You practice for talking about your dick in front of people and thinking it was funny. But you didn't practice comedy. You didn't practice stand up. You just practiced talking.
2: Yeah, you just took me to a place like we talk a lot about the scared self. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that. That person inside of us that's always scared. I mean, that's our. That's what we're. That's how we are, right? And and just you describing that, it it, it was. It made me scared <laughs> thinking about going uh, going out there in front of that audience and not knowing what it is you're going to trigger them with.
1: I'm actually now worried about because if somebody takes this podcast out of context, all that happened is I made a woman scared, which is. <laughs> That's well, not well the done, reputation Dennis. I want on nice, the internet. Nice job, well, Hey, That well, Dennis guy well, well, he scares well done. women.
2: <laughs> no, but just you—you you described the situation so well. It was like, oh my gosh, I could just imagine how terrifying that might be.
1: It is. I had a friend once ask us, like, uh, when comedians get together, we hang out. We ask, we 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 ask stupid comedy questions about the industry and our opinions and stuff. And somebody said something once, and I, I love this. This was a brilliant question, and. The question was, if you had to use a scene from a movie to describe to somebody how it feels to bomb on stage, what scene would you pick? And somebody said, you know, the 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 A to A scene from Requiem for a Dream. Some people say, you know, the the scene from train spotting when the guy, you know, the is, is vomiting and stuff like that. And the scene that I picked was the movie Snatch, when Brad Pitt I don't know if you guys seen the movie, but Brad Pitt plays this roaming gypsy British caravan person with a terrible accent but it's on purpose despite brad pitt's general terrible acting and he plays this bare knuckle boxer and he starts a a, a, spoiler alert for the movie snatch that came out 20 years ago all right anyway what happens is uh (laughs) he's paid to throw this bare knuckle boxing fight and as he's throwing the fight he gets uppercut and it's a you know artistic you know abstract scene of him getting knocked back and then falling into a pool of water and drowning and I was like, that's what bombing feels like. It feels like you just got walloped. You're dizzy. You're, you are you you don't have your bearings. You can't breathe. You're suffocating. You're trying to get out of the situation. And that's what bombing on stage as a comedian feels like is just, it's just getting knocked out and falling into a pool of water and drowning to your death. But you get up and do it again. Yeah, you got out. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's because I have a disease that's not being fixed. I have a disorder that's not fixed by medication. That's why. <laughs>
0: Well, I' am uh, not going to comment on the disorder with with without medication, but I think that's for everything I've worked with and in our that space. That's all of us. Yeah. That is all of us, and we all, whether we're not on stage, but we're in the world talking to people, which is our stage, mm-hmm. and it's this place where we bomb. We 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 say something that didn't connect, didn't work, or worse, they got offended, right? And and then it's like you're in that space of being knocked, and you're just going like. I don't know how to recover. I'm going to fall backwards and die. And then the same time you're going like, and we're going to get up and do it again. Yeah,
1: You're going to scramble and fight your way to the top of that, 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 that water. So you can get breath in your lungs again. So you can go on and do it again. But there's that, that sheer panic of, am I ever going to get out of this situation? How do I get out of this situation?
0: Yeah. And it's always so crazy for me is like, I have several stories I use all the time. And I can tell that story to some people and they go like, wow, that was that was so good. That was so great. I can so connect to that. And I same story. And somebody else goes, you offended me. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. Why did you do that? You, you, you should not tell that to anybody ever. <laughs> why, did like, you say that? <laughs> why, why did you
1: say that?
0: Why did you say that? I go like, whoa, got it. And it just depends on who they are, what they're up to, right? And how do I connect with their stories?
1: Yeah, and that's the other thing about comedy is that it is incredibly subjective. Like, you, I mean, we can objectively tear apart a, a joke and say why it works, why it didn't, what's good, what's bad, how it, how to improve it and stuff like that. We can, we can objectively say these things. But really what it is, is the most subjective art form because no one has, it, it all intrinsically comes down to likability as well, because nobody has ever in the history of the world gone, oh. That guy, oh, he's an asshole. I can't stand him. I hate him so much. Oh, every time I see his face, I want to vomit violently. But you know what? He's funny. Nobody says that. You know, it's the same that so many people get into comedy and they're bad at it because they're funny to their friends. Their friends like them, so they're th- going to want to think that he's funny. But then he gets in front of a group of strangers who don't know him because they haven't spent years with him. They don't know the life lessons they learned with him, or they just don't get him because. The way he's t- delivering or he's displaying himself on stage is off putting. And so they're not going to find him funny. No matter what he says, he can have the most brilliantest joke, but if he's just not a likable person, you're not going to laugh at him for the most part. You know, that was a thing that I had to learn to overcome when I started stand up comedy. Even though I'm like five foot six, I'm a man who takes up a lot of space. You, I'm a presence that walks into a room. Like honestly, Deb knew I was in this recording space before she even said she clicked join session. That's how much space I take up. Like I am, (laughs) I'm a force. I'm a presence, and that can be off-putting. Like I have, you know, I'm 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 broad-chested and barrel, broad-shouldered and barrel-chested. I I'm a a big and even at five foot six, I'm very intimidating looking. I have an aggressive look to myself. I have the haircut that makes me look like that. I. I'm a January 6th recreationist. Like, I understand. I have a lot of looks about me that can be very off-putting to people. I'm boisterous. That's also very off-putting. I have friends that the first time they met me used to call me the foghorn, not because I remind them of the Looney Tunes character, because I walk in a bar and basically might as well just be going, Brr! with everything <laughs> I'm talking about at all times. I am, a, I, I, can, I am a lot to deal with. And if I come in too hot on stage... Boom, that audience, they get turned off real quick. You know, if I don't acknowledge some of their expectations of my appearances, they're, they're going to feel uncomfortable. So you—the those are things that you also have to factor in with it. Whereas like a musician, nobody cares what a musician looks like. And in fact, if you look the more and more like a rock star you look like, the more and more people will treat you like a rock star. That doesn't work in comedy. I can't come up. What does a comedian look like? A clown? Do I come up on stage and makeup? And a red nose, big big floppy shoes that don't fit. No, you're not gonna take me serious when I would tell you jokes about that way. Unless I wanted to be an actual clown, in which case you're like, oh, he fits the bill. But if I'm just going up there to tell you stories about my life that are you know important or uh, interesting or you know just to distract you from your daily lives, well, to distract you, I can't distract you by distracting you. That that you know, if my look is that distracting to you. You're not going to be distracted by my stories. You're going to be too busy extra-
0: distracted by the thing that. You know. so, so, what what does distracted mean for you? When you're distra- when somebody say somebody's distracted.
1: Oh, here's a great one. I had a giant fist size hernia protruding from my stomach for three years. I just finally had the surgery and got it fixed. That is a huge distraction for people, <laughs> believe it or not. You walk on stage with what looks to be like a small alien about to burst out of your your abdomen and attack the audience, and you don't acknowledge that. Like, all right, everybody, I know I cast a weird shadow. They're gonna get. You, they're gonna be like, what is wrong with his stomach? What is he hiding under there? What's gonna happen? Is he okay? They're not gonna pay attention to your jokes if you don't acknowledge something like that. I had a big, dumb, curled handlebar mustache for a while because I was growing it out for a Halloween costume and then shaved it two weeks before Halloween because I got tired fed up with it. But if I didn't acknowledge that I have this big, dumb, curly, curl mustache on my face, people were just like, what's, what, what is, what is this? You know, sometimes you have to do the dumb appearance like, oh, I know I look like the love child, Rosie O'Donnell and Richard Dreyfus, you know, you have to make acknowledgement with of it, you know. A lot of comedians. That's their first joke. Is like, oh, I know. I look like the ch- the love child of Slash, and had he had sex with Slash. Like it's, you know, we all have th- those those jokes. You know, you know. One of my opening jokes is acknowledging the haircut here. Like, uh, ah, ah, I know. I look like I look like I keep headcounts at Trump rallies. I understand that. Like, I'm here to try <laughs> and make you not, un- especially here in Boston. They're very liberal audiences. Um, by liberal, I mean scared whites. But that is you have to acknowledge that when you're when you're a loud white cis male with a shaved head you have to let everybody know that this is a genetic defect and not a political statement so because it's very worrisome for them if you don't
2: you know as i as i listen to you i think about you take the audience's temperature down just by sharing what's might be in their head yeah. out loud <laughs> Like they might be able to say, oh, my gosh, what is what is that big hernia or what is that thing coming out of his stomach? And you you actually take their story and bring it to life to a point where they're going, wow, I <laughs> I, I didn't think he could actually read my mind, but he did.
1: Yeah, well, we have to we, I mean, you have to do that. Like everyone has prejudice. What we want to admit or not, we all have prejudices. We all have things in our head about we, we have snap judgments about people. Some people can acknowledge them and deal with them some people can't. And that's the same thing in comedy. If I can make you acknowledge that apprehension about you and me, then you're going to feel endeared to me. If I can tell you the thing that you were thinking, it's a mind trick. It's parlor tricks. It's it's you know, it's it's, it's John Edwards. It's I don't really read your mind, but I'm gonna say the things that I know you're thinking that will make you think I'm reading your mind because I've done this enough times. But yeah, you have to kind of put them at ease if you want to open up. To them. Especially me, a lot of my a lot of my comedy is very dark, you know. So if I need to get people on board with me quick, I've had to learn that like. You know, I can can open up with little softball jokes and be like, oh, here, here's happiness. Here's fun. Here's goofy little things. And now you like me. And now I'm going to tell you about the time that I wondered how much weight my ceiling fan can support. You know, those are the things that uh, I have to either get you on my side quick or take the time to get you on my side and then drop into the things where it's going to make you uncomfortable, possibly. And I'm not trying to make anyone uncomfortable. I'm trying to make them laugh. That's the whole objective of a comedian is making anyone laugh. Anything else is second to making them laugh. And the way I want to make people laugh is by talking about the things that make me laugh, which just happens to be dark, deep, crazy, personal things about myself. So to get you on board, I got to find a a quick way to do it or hope that I have enough time and softballs to pitch at you long enough for you to go, hey, I like anything this guy's going to do. Usually I, I choose the let's jump in quick route. Or, you know, if it doesn't work, All right, hey, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be you're the one who's gonna have not fun for the next five to fifteen minutes. Not me. I'm gonna have fun no matter what. If you don't want to jump on this train of fun, that is you. You could stand at the station and wait for the next train that comes by.
0: So, so Dennis, there may be some people who are listening to our podcast and come away going like, "Oh, I'm gonna go try comedy."
1: Oh, thank God! I hope you. I thought you were gonna say, "There's some people who listen to our podcast and then stop right there." There may be some. (laughs) I hope there's people.
0: What would be the space of like if if they're not looking to go into comedy? What, what should they try next with somebody in this space to build a connection with somebody to be open and be vulnerable? What space would you open for them?
1: Well, if you're, I, I, I the question is mostly to how to, you know if somebody is listening here and wants to be stand up comedian, what to do? Well, you just have to do stand up comedy. Find an open mic, start going to it, start talking. And here's the thing, you're never going to be able to open up personally with people until you learn to be comfortable on stage. And that's the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours kind of thing. You need to go on stage. You need to learn to be on stage. You need to learn to be present. You need to learn to be open. I'll tell you this, after the pandemic, I did, throughout the pandemic, I did Zoom comedy shows and open mics seven nights a week, practically, you know, five to seven nights a week, multiple times a day. And I got very comfortable in this format, talking to a a webcam and telling jokes and listening to my friends on a delayed internet reaction or listening to audiences laugh a second and a half after I said something because of internet delay and lag. But also, I mean, I worked in TV and radio, so I'm so used to sitting in a room by myself, staring at a camera and just talking. Wasn't that, wasn't a hard adaptation for me? What was hard was for me to get back to being comfortable on stage in front of people again. I get on Clubhouse. I can get on Zoom. I can do my thing all day, every day, with or without people unmuted and laughing and stuff. I, I, I've developed that. I've developed that skill over years of being in the entertainment industry, and I honed it throughout the pandemic. What I lost is going on stage and being loose and in the moment again. And it's taken me time to relearn how to get comfortable on stage and be able to tell my jokes without having to think about the jokes I'm telling about. You know, there's plenty of times where you're you're telling something. And in my head, I'm rewriting it because I know the situation I'm in. I know the audience that I'm talking to. And so I need to tweak certain things so that it'll work with this audience. Or I'm coming up with different edits. Or I'm in the moment and I'm like, oh, God, there's a new joke right there coming up that I can say now. And my brain's working and my mouth's going, which, by the way, no one's surprised listening to me talk for 33 minutes and 56 seconds has not realized, oh, this guy's mouth moves without his brain even telling to it at all. That's correct. That's you're very much astounded on that 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 assumption, but yes, I can just I can tell my you know it's uh, you have to get back to that place where you can be comfortable, be able to talk and think about two different things at the same time. You know, it's the it's the rubbing your belly and patting your head of of auditory audibles is thinking about something and talking about something. Th- that's th- great. Different. I love that. So yeah, if you're gonna start, you have to learn to get comfortable. Once you learn to get comfortable, that's when you can start learning about opening up. That I can't, I mean, I'm not a therapist. I can't tell people how to get to, to, to open up because there's people who are great on stage and they've never opened up about anything real or true in their entire life, you know? But also some people, you know, they don't need to be true. They can just, you know, do, you know, do their observational jokes and be likable and they can make a career out of that. So it's, it's different for every person, you know, like the way I write and come up with material is different than how everyone else comes up with material. It's to each own individual what works. But the only way you're going to find what works for you is by going out there and doing it and trying different things. Like I used to write all my jokes on my phone and a guy told me that your brain, he read the study about how your brain reacts differently to screens to paper. So he's going back to completely writing out on paper because who wanted to test the theory? And I heard that and I did the same thing. I went back to writing a paper in a notebook with a pen. And I was like, oh, this does work better for my brain than just writing on a screen and trying to read it off a screen. Reading out of that notebook, that that pen and paper, that hand-to-paper eye coordination thing that goes on works for me. Maybe it'll work for others. I don't know. But it worked for me. And I never would have gotten to a point had I not tried it. You know, I was writing in a phone because I'm like, oh, it's 2010, whatever, you know, whatever. And I was like, oh, look at this. I'm going to write my jokes in my phone. I'm not gonna keep a notebook like an old man in comedy. I'm not gonna one of those olds. No, I'm hip and up to technology. And, uh, nope. I'm back to a notebook. I literally have a notebook right here in front of you so that I'm writing notes in. You know, I, have, <laughs> I I I keep I keep a post-it notes you know right next to me so I can handwrite notes because that's what I do now. I mean, I still put things in a phone, but that is not the question yep. you ask. But the question <laughs> this is the the progression that we got to. I still put things in in, in a phone as a reminder because I don't always have a notebook on me, but also I use it. The way I write is all bullet points anyway. So put the bullet points on the phone so I can look at them after I wrote all the bullet points and the things out on paper.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, Dennis, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being you and being in the world. And I'm going to open up a space here for those who are listening to the podcast if you have questions, please reach out to us or reach out to Dennis. And you can find him at Dennis. Where do we find you at? You
1: can find me everywhere on the internet, uh, deadairdennis.com. That's D E A D A I R, Dennis, D E N N I S.com. Or just search Dead Air Dennis and click all the links that do not point to a hack shock jock in Kentucky. I'm <laughs> There's two dead air Dentises There's one, a terrible radio guy in Kentucky, and then there's me, a terrible radio guy comedian that is having trouble paying his bills and keeping up with his co-pay for his obsessive compulsive disorder medications. (laughs) Very great to have you on the show. (laughs) It was awesome. Thank you so
2: much, Dennis.
1: (laughs) My genuine pleasure. Thank you all.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time, and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.